Suicide is a tough topic, but the Washington County Reach for Hope Suicide Prevention Coalition wants you to know that there is always hope. We are a caring community reaching out to provide compassion and hope for a community free of suicide. In the next half hour, we'll talk with community partners to identify risk factors, raise awareness, and discuss prevention strategies. Hi, I'm Melissa Anderson. Welcome to another edition of Reach for Hope, where there's always hope. You know, while much of our focus is on prevention of suicide, we also must face the reality of suicide loss. And with me today is Mary Lynn Gowdy, who lost her husband, Jordan, to suicide five years ago in Washington County. Welcome. Thanks for being on the show today. Thank you, Melissa. I appreciate that you're here to talk about your experience, but I'm sorry for your loss. Um, thank you for, for doing this and, you know, being able to open up and, and share with others who might have had the same issues in the past. And now give us some background about your lives together as a family with Jordan and before your loss. Okay. Um, so Jordan and I met at Utah State University. We were both students there and, um, I had some friends who knew his older brother. And so I, it, when I heard his name, I, I, it was the, Hey, do you know, kind of thing. And so we just started talking, we studied together and, um, then we ended up falling in love and getting married. Um, we finished school at Utah State and then we moved to Japan for a couple of years, taught English there. We took our little girl with us there. Um, then we actually moved back here. We lived in St. George for about 10 years and then moved away and I had a little boy here and then moved to Texas and now we're back. So you've been here for how many years then? The um, second time around? A second time around, we moved here in 2017. So that's six years. Yeah. yeah. So um, you have two kids, it sounds mm-hmm. like. Um, tell me a little bit about your family. And uh, I, looking at these pictures that we have been looking at, you, you're very happy looking. Yeah. Big smiles on their faces. When were those pictures taken? Um, most of them were taken just two weeks before my husband died. So looking in him, you wouldn't expect that that was what was going on in his mind, but he had struggled with some depression. Most of the time we were together, I, you know, I felt like I didn't know about it for a couple of years, but I think he just kept it hidden pretty well. Um, but he, uh, and, and after he died, people's like, I would never have thought that of him. He was always so happy and he was, but he, he hit it really well. He just, um, didn't deal with it. So what kinds of things then did you guys, to back up just a hair, did you have in common that really made you click? Uh, well, we had a really similar family situation, um, just, and that's a whole nother chapter. But uh, um, I think we both loved to travel. We both loved adventure. He worked for an airline eventually. And so we um, got to travel all over, take our kids, and um, we had some really fun adventures together. And just really enjoyed being together. We both, we hiked, we, anything outside, anything on the water. We've always just loved that. Yeah. And I see a picture up there with you with an, and an airplane. Did, was he a pilot as well or did he just like to fly? Well, so he wanted to be a pilot. That was um, before we had kids. We had a, a, I gave him a Christmas present of a, a flying lessons. And so he went up and we, we went up together. That was a really fun day. And he did end up getting his private pilot license, but he just felt like unless you're in the military or something, it was really expensive to get a pilot's license. And so he just had the private. He didn't ever fly commercially. He worked as a dispatcher for a couple of different airlines. And so he, it was good. We got the benefits and he liked to do airplanes, but you know, it's, it was a great life. Yeah. Now tell me what you do. Well, um, I'm a teacher. I've taught, I used to teach here at Dixie and I taught, well, when I was Dixie and I taught at SUU for a little bit as an adjunct, but now I teach at um, Pineview Middle School, special ed. And how do you like that? 
Uh, depends on the day. <laughs> um, I really, I, I, for the most part, love it. There are hard times with everything, but yeah, it's, it's, it's gotten harder through the years. I, I see. And I think that's something that kind of leads into what we're talking about with suicide, that life is harder. Kids are having a harder time. Everyone's having a harder time. And so it, that makes my job a little harder too. So yeah. I, so you've lived this. I've lived it and I'm still living it. Yeah. Tell me, take us back then to 2018 okay. um, when you discovered that Jordan was apparently missing. Yeah. So, um, we'd had a bit of a, a fight in the morning and, um, and he left and, and I, I knew he was gone. And, um, so I kept trying to call him through the day and I, cause I was at school and, um, he wasn't, I went home at lunch to check. He wasn't home yet. And I thought he just needs a little time to calm down. And anyway, so I, when I got done with school, I went to the police office and I talked to the police and reported him missing. And I said, I know it hasn't been 24 hours. And they said, no, we, we want to know right away. And so they, I saw them out in the neighborhood talking to people and kind of driving around and stuff. And, and he didn't come home that night. And, um, so the next day, I mean, I didn't know what to do. You know, I told the police, what else do you do? So I posted on Facebook, of course, that's so 2018. But anyway, I posted that he was missing. And so some friends of mine made a flyer and hung it up and, and um, our neighborhood organized a big search and rescue. And then the actual official search and rescue people came out and, and he was found really pretty quickly within an hour, hour and a half. So he was at Sullivan Park. And he had taken his own life. Yeah. Did you have any... Um you said he earlier that he was struggling with depression. Tell mm -hmm. me a little bit about that, what that could yeah. have been caused by, or you said you got into a little bit of fight, but I don't think that no, I mean, no. couples fight all the time. Yeah. So it, I mean, it, it wasn't that. Um, no, so it's hard to say really. I, I mean, I think that there was a lot going on at, at work. He had some things going on at work. Um, he was a Southwest and he loved his job, but there was, a, um, it's a long story. Another company was merging with them and there was a lot of politics going on and it was a lot of, um, heated conversations. And, and then our daughter moved away from home. She went to college and I think he really missed her. And I think it was like the, like stress of change and things. And so I, I think there were just a lot of things, um, but I think it just got to be so much. And so he like suddenly quit his job. He called me and said, I just quit. And so that was a big, um, the beginning Red of flag. a flag. Yeah. The beginning of a downward spiral. And I would say his personality changed a lot after that. Yeah. So, um, did he ever reach out then for help between that time and the time he took his life? He did. He was going to a therapist. Um, and, and that was really what our argument was about. Um, he felt guilty for quitting his job. And then I was supporting us for a little while cause you know, he was 50 and it's hard to find a job. And, and he'd been in such a niche niche mm -hmm. position for so long. It's hard. He would be starting all over and, um, it's a, the aviation industry is a small world. So, um, it just wasn't, he wasn't finding anything. So I was working to support us. And so he felt like he couldn't spend any money. You know, he just felt like he, he didn't deserve it. Maybe he, he had blown it and, and we had sold our house in Texas. We had some money. It wasn't money was not the issue that he made it to be, but, but um, in his mind, in his mind yeah. he was going yeah. through a midlife crisis. He was. I mean, he didn't know what to do right? and, and that's tough when yeah. you struggle. So he had a prescription and he didn't, wouldn't get it refilled. He didn't want to spend the money on that. He didn't want to spend the money on therapist. So he's going like once a month. It was, it was a tough time. Yeah. And I imagine that was really tough when you and your children found out about it. Oh, and because yeah. you know, those pictures were just, he was so happy no. looking. I yeah. just, it's hard to see yeah. that smile on your, all of your faces yeah. and then have yeah. it go awry. Like I said, that was two weeks before he died. I mean, it's so, and it, I'm not saying 
everything changed in two weeks. I'm just saying he covered it really well, that things weren't okay for a long time. And oftentimes that's what people do. They want to put a smile mm-hmm. on their face mm-hmm. to try to hide mm-hmm. what's really going on inside, which is why it's important for us to ask that question. Right. How are you really doing? Because yeah. they might just say, fine, I'm okay, whatever, shove it under the carpet. And really, I, I feel like, maybe this is off topic, but I feel like that's part of the reason we're here is like we need to develop more forms of talking about things because when you, when someone asks, I, honestly, right now, I sometimes say, I don't really know how to answer that because I'm, I, am I going to take my life? No. Am I generally okay? Fine. But am I good? No, I'm not good. I'm, I'm okay. Yeah, everybody struggles yeah. and it's okay to not yeah. be okay yeah. sometimes. We just have to yeah. know when to yeah. put that boundary up and saying, okay, now maybe yeah. I do need some help or I need to talk to somebody at least. And I think if someone says, I'm not really doing okay, I, you know, how do you respond to that? We need to figure out how to respond to that. You say, is there something I can do to help you? Is there someone that, do you have you, do you have someone to talk to if it's not me? We have to find ways to be comfortable with that conversation. I totally agree I, with that. I wasn't. Yeah. Well, and how do you know until it's in the, in your face, yeah. you know? So yeah. what have you done then as a survivor of loss to overcome mm. come this? <laughs> Cried a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, not, I, I don't know. Right after he died, I was teaching, but I didn't have my license. I was doing an ARL program. Okay. And so I, cause I had a master's degree, but I didn't have a teaching license, which is kind of weird. So, um, so I, compartmentalized it and I worked really hard. I took 10 classes that summer. He died in May and that summer, um, my, uh, my younger boy was, um, went up to stay with some neighbors or I mean cousins for a couple of weeks. And I just took 10 classes that summer, 28 credits. And I just dove in and, and did it all in one summer. And so that was one thing, keeping busy, but for sure therapy, all three of us had, have had therapy at different times. And, um, None of us are currently, oh, maybe one of us is currently in therapy right now, but, um, but that's been something that we, you know, we go out and in as we need to. And I'm very supportive and encouraging of my kids getting the help that they need and of me getting the help that I need. Um, and that's been really helpful, but it, you know, you have to find the right therapist. I think when people say therapy doesn't work for me, it's often because they just haven't found the right person. Or they're not ready to open up. Yeah. Because you really do have to open up. Yes. And that's my daughter um, wasn't ready at first. She had a couple of sessions and then she said, I don't, I don't want to do this. And I said, okay, if you change your mind, let me know. And she did. And so she is seeing someone now, but um, yeah, she didn't need it at the time. Yeah. Um, So did you look for any like support groups or counseling outside of the therapy? Uh, yeah. So, and this is kind of, uh, this is outdated information. Maybe right after Jordan died, um, I went to one group and they were great. I would love to have gone back, but the problem was there was nothing for children. There's no grieving support. And I talked to them about it and they were like, we don't really know. And, and then I thought I heard of a group and then I, we went to it and no one was there. So I, it's been kind of a challenge because he was young enough that I didn't want to leave him at home at the time. Now I, now I, look for ways to leave him. (laughs) But, um, anyway, he, um, there wasn't anything for him at that age. And, and so he, he saw his therapist, but that was it. There was no like youth support. And I thought that would have been so helpful for him. And if I hadn't been, I mean, we had no life insurance or anything, you know, cause he wasn't working. And I, anyway, so I, I've had to work one or two jobs to make ends meet. And so I haven't had the time or the energy or the brain power or the coping skills to set anything up like that. But if there's anyone who's looking for something that needs to happen, set up a support system for kids for who are youth. grieving suicide. That's yeah. a great idea because yeah. we hear about it all the yeah. time for yeah. uh, adults. But yeah. I think kids think about things differently than we do too as for well. Sure. I mean, you can approach them differently. For and sure. 
you know, yeah. they need a little bit different approach. Well, yeah. And I think there's, for them, the social component is so much bigger because when, when Jordan died, like people were reaching out to me left and right. When for, for my son, it wasn't like that. They were, um, no, kids didn't know what to say, you know? And, and so when he was acting out and I don't think the teachers knew what to say either, because if he was doing something in class, I think, Oh, that's trauma. That's he's mm-hmm. showing trauma. And the teacher's like, no, he's just misbehaving. And I'm like, well, you do know what happened. And they're like, Oh, so I, I just think kids need so much more support than they're getting. I just see that as a huge problem because as the numbers of suicide rise, the numbers of people affected that are is getting younger, I think. I don't, yeah. I don't, I'm Get, not an expert. Getting left behind is, yeah. is not good. And yeah. that peer, we need a peer-to-peer group, maybe mm-hmm. what, something we might yeah. think about starting. Yeah, well, what would you say to others then who may be experiencing losses and having a tough time getting through this? Um, really, you're not alone. I mean, and, and that's, I'm not an expert. I haven't done any research. I haven't done any study and I've, I've lived it and I just know my experience. But um, the more I talk about it and share my experience, the more I hear from other people. I have heard some really just tragic stories. And, and I don't think of mine as a tragedy as much as some of the ones I've heard, but they're all, there's no good suicide stories, but, um, just know that you're not alone, that there are people who care and, um, that I had a conversation with a friend the other day who was saying, you know, people are afraid to say, Hey, it's the holidays. Are you thinking of, you know, your son or your brother or your husband or whatever? And I, do you need to talk or anything? And, um, my friend said, I think they're afraid that, to, that we're, they're reminding us of something painful. We don't need to be reminded. We know we miss them all the time. Mm-hmm. And this friend of mine who lost a son, not to suicide, but, um, to COVID actually, she said, he's, he's still here with me, but, and I want to talk about, I want him to be part of my, my Christmas celebration. I want him to be part of my life, but it's hard for other people when I talk about him. And that, that made me feel bad for her because, you know, well, we talked about this too. Like when someone dies, you're not just losing your past, you're losing your future. And that's worse, mm-hmm. I think, because the morning, the past, it happened and nothing can change that. But now suddenly my, my grandkids won't know their grandfather, you know, my, like my future has changed because of, of this. So I mourn my future more than I do my past. And, and I need people to talk to about that I, because it's, it's, it's right now and in the future that that is, that loss is taking place. Right. So it's, so maybe bring up those pictures of him with a smile on his face and say, this is the things he liked to do. This is what he did. Mm -hmm. And just say, Hey, you know, his birthday is coming up. Hey, think about Jordan. Hope you're, hope you're doing something special to celebrate or commemorate or, you know, just talk about him there. It's not going to hurt our feelings. We already know. Yeah. You've already been there. You've already lived that. So it's a lived experience. I might cry. And if so, you know, that's okay. Yeah, it is. That's true. So it's important, like you said, to talk about your loss, even as much as, as difficult as it may be. Yeah. Some days easier than others for sure. Yeah, that's for sure. So what do you think about, uh, uh, as a community, what we might do better to help recognize the signs of suicide mm-hmm. and help in the prevention of suicide as a whole? I mean, you said there was some depression there, yeah. but, but did you really think that he was going to go Never. take his life? Never. I mean, he did. It just maybe didn't even occur to you. No, and I that's I don't think there were any signs with him. I mean, I guess you know quitting his job and and things it, in hindsight probably, but it was spread out over two years. You know, it wasn't like he quit his job and died the next day. It was over two years, and so you know people get depressed, people have hard times, people go through cycles. So I don't know about signs, and I'm and like I said, I'm not an expert, but as a community, I. 
I think it's less about specifically suicide and more about like connecting with each other and, and being authentic and being real. I, sometimes we think we're not going to measure up to what we see our neighbors doing on Facebook or social media, whatever. And we're not, we shouldn't even try. We should just put our, our authentic self out there, good and bad and, and be real with each other. Because, you know, I, I mean, and I've gotten really good about that with my house lately. I keep lowering my expectations and I don't care anymore what it looks like, but, but everyone has something that they feel like they're not doing very well. So they want to hide it. And I just thought that impedes connection and connection is kind of the alternative that we want. Um, if we don't have connection, that's where suicide comes in. Right. And so it sounds like there was a culmination of things that mm-hmm. just happened over time. And yeah. because he didn't deal with it, you That's know, in the proper way, yeah. it built up. Yeah. So we need to talk about things when things are right. starting to happen right. and break down, especially as couples, mm-hmm. you know, um, feel more open to share our feelings and say, hey, I'm not doing so good. What yeah. can we do about this? Uh, but I think men in particular, yes. and I, I'm not trying to be, <laughs> uh, oh. I think they have a harder time opening up with their feelings than yeah. women do. I think women will blab it all over the place, put it on <laughs> Facebook, talk to their friends that they get it out, but men kind of hold that in. In fact, Teresa Willie, who we were talking about earlier, who's um, Southwest uh, Behavior and Health, um, was my neighbor when this happened. She came over and talked to me and my kids about suicide and what, and, and a bunch of different things. She was so helpful. But um, she said that's the gr- growing um, uh, demographic is middle-aged men for suicide because I think, you know, there's, there's these transitions and these things that they aren't prepared to handle. They don't know how to deal with them. They don't know how to ask for help maybe. And uh, I don't know. That's That's what some of the research said at that time. Yeah. And they're more likely to, um, for a lack of better words, succeed in their mission of taking their own lives. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so as a school teacher, then what do you do to encourage youth that you, you said you're special ed to try to keep them from, um, maybe thinking about that because they probably have some pretty difficulties not fitting in. So I thought about this a little. I think there's two main things that I have tried to do and that maybe, you know, I can share that might be helpful. I think the first thing is, um, you know, preparing kids to deal with failure because you're not always going to succeed and there's going to be hard times and, and you can't protect your child from all the consequences. You have to say, you know what, it didn't work out this time and that's okay. We'll fix it. We'll, we'll find another way. We'll do something else. So they have to have some coping strategies when things go bad. And that can be, you know, very simple things. If you didn't pass the math test and you teach it, then the parents shouldn't come in and say, help my student. The student should say, how can I improve my grade? What can I do to bring my grade up? I tell my son that all the time, talk to your teachers, talk to your teachers. And so I think that's one thing is help kids find coping strategies when things go wrong. And then the second thing kind of mentioned connection. We, um, I spend a lot of time. So the kids that I work with aren't the life skills, the ones that, you know, can't function very well. Um, this used to be called like resource room when I was in school where you just need a little extra help. So you'd go in and work for a little while. And, and so we try to do a lot of like social skills things. I try to get them interacting with each other as much as possible. Like, well, I'll, I'll work with a group and ask some questions together, or we'll get out of Uno and play a game together. I just want them to find ways to talk. And I try to model that, you know, I, I model how you can um, tease a little bit, make sure they know you're teasing and, and just like interact with people. That, that connection is so important and kids need it so badly. So that's what I think is um, surviving hard times, finding ways to cope with failure and connecting with other people, being yeah. real. Yeah. And, and building up that resilience, mm-hmm. and with, like you said, with those coping skills yeah. to know what to do 
Yeah. Take a deep breath. Go for a walk. Uh, know that it's not the end of the world if yeah. you got a bad grade on a test. Yeah. Or know that if someone rejects you or turns you down yeah. or you didn't get that date you thought you might get, yeah. that tomorrow's another day. Right. And nothing, nothing lasts is, forever. Nothing is worth that. Yeah, yeah um, for sure. But I think the whole point of the matter is reaching out too mm-hmm. as well and not being afraid to, to make that connection and yeah. say, hey, I'm not okay. Yeah. Um, and, and then being able to have that conversation that, you know, what do you need to be okay? What can we do to help you? You know, that you're not alone. I'm in this with you, even though I don't feel it with you. I'm, I'm your friend and I love you and I'm supporting you in it. Yeah. So what are you doing then today um, after this? It's been tough, I'm sure, yeah. that to try to start over. You guys were married for what, 20, 20 some years? 23 years. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and how have you kind of moved on or have you? <laughs> Oh gosh. I mean, I've been trying to, I, you know, I had to work. I, I, that's what I do. I work and I take care of my kids. So that's, I mean, that's kind of my life, but, um, I am involved in a, there's a conference that's coming up next month. It's a widow widowers conference of Southern Utah. It's for, it's not just suicide, but it's for anyone who's lost a partner. And so, um, there's that, um, I'm involved with, uh, like I work two jobs and so that's a lot and that's kind of all I've got time for. But as far I, I try to work out and get some endorphins that way and, read and travel still. Those are the things I like to do. And what do you do to make yourself, what do you do for yourself? You said travel and read. Yeah. Is there something else that you're uh, putting on your bucket list or, (laughs) or thinking about that you're working for your own goals because you, you're a mother, you're single Mm -hmm. and you're trying to do all of these things (laughs) and you're the caretaker and you're taking care of everybody else. But what are you doing for you? Not really much of anything. I mean, I honestly, I, I take a long, hot bubble bath sometimes. I go I go lay out in the hammock in the backyard. I'll go for a walk or a bike ride or a drive sometimes by myself. Um, but honestly, I my my joy is being with my kids. I really love having my kids around. I need some time from them sometimes. But I love it when my daughter comes over on Sunday. for She has an apartment in town, so she'll come over for dinner. And that's a big deal for me. It's a big deal for me to have them all together. And um, that's hit my husband's birthday would be the 17th coming up. And so we always try and talk about him and, and, you know, commemorate the occasion. Sometimes we'll have pie and ice cream, but or cake and see like both those, but it's close to Christmas. So we don't need any more sugar. <laughs> we mostly just talk about him. But sharing those experiences, mm-hmm. the happy times is important mm-hmm. yes. to remember. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, um, it, sometimes the holidays can be a struggle yeah. for a lot of people. But it sounds to me like you've dealt with that with your children long enough to where they're kind of going, we miss dad. But at the same time, we know he's, he, he, it's okay. Yeah. We, we just keep going. And, and, and sometimes things do need to stop. Sometimes one of us is having a hard enough time that we just say, okay, we're going to, you know, call it a day and, and just hunker down and, in uh, self-care mode, stay home and, and talk and not worry about anything else. But, but that's pretty rare. We're pretty bouncy, resilient people. Yeah, I like the idea of the cake and ice cream because sugar always does help me <laughs> through everything. What final words would you like to share with our viewers out there about um, being resilient and being even good listeners? Well, I I don't know if this is I, I don't know if this is a thing, but I would say like um, one thing is that 
just to remember that nothing is permanent. Like I said, like if you're having a bad day today, tomorrow's going to be better. I, it, last summer, my son and I went on a trip and we spent 23 days and we were in eight countries and we did all these things. I thought Jordan would have loved this. If he had survived, if he had stayed alive, we would have done this together and he would have loved it. So there's more good things in the future than there are bad. I I'll totally believe that. So just hold on for the next good thing and, and realize that bad things are temporary. They're just not going to last. You just got to hold on. And if it seems like forever, then you get the help that you need and, and find something to live for. Find that joy that you talked mm-hmm. about, that happiness inside yeah. your heart and your spirit and yeah. hang on to that. There's so. something for every, there's everyone has someone that loves them and cares about them. Sometimes you just gotta, sometimes you don't, it's not who you think it is. You just gotta find someone that loves you and cares about you and hold on. All right. There's good things. Well, I'd just like to say thank you so mm-hmm. much for uh, your time and sharing <laughs> your experiences and, and and talking up to us mm-hmm. about this because it's really important to know that there might be other people out there that are going through the same thing. So thank you so much. Thank you for asking, Melissa. Yeah. I enjoyed talking to right, you. Right, right. It's been, it's just enlightening to hear how you're how you've mm-hmm. coped and how your children are coping as well. So thank you so thank much. Thank you. Yeah. And thanks to our audience for taking time to uh, listen, as well as to others out there who may be, you know, needing some help. And remember that uh, there's always the number of 988 you can call for reaching out for help. And and that's what we're here to do, too, is to give you uh, hope for the future, because that's what this is all about. We're all in this life together and it may not be easy, but but we're here. So and we love you. All right. Thanks for watching and uh, share this story with others. Thanks. The Reach for Hope Coalition wants you to know that we care about you and we are here to help. If you or someone you know is thinking about suicide, reach out. You're not alone. To access resources for yourself or others, visit our webpage at reachforhopeutah.org. That's reach, the number four, hopeutah.org. If you are experiencing a crisis, please call or text the Suicide Crisis Lifeline at 988 because you matter and there is always hope. This has been a production from a podcast studio.